0: Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Police are on the lookout for a suspicious hitchhiker moving through Maine. The Dairy Chief of Police has requested that we share this information with those of you on the road. (coughs) Suspect may be recognized by the following. Thumbs. A considerable dampness. And he lets himself in the back like this is some kind of Uber. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio.
1: Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander.
0: Hello, everyone.
1: <laughs> and joining us via Zoom, Ohio-based filmmakers from 13th Floor Productions to talk about their dollar-baby adaptation of Nona titled October Roses. Welcome to the show, Brandon Lazenko, and Shelby Wyant. Welcome to the show, guys.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much.
3: This is exciting.
1: We are very excited to have you here. And before we get to talking about October Roses, I'm so excited to talk about it. I do have to turn things over to CM, who guards the rest of the interview with her life. So I hope you're prepared for what she's about to dish out.
0: I've thought about this long and hard. And if you guys don't give us satisfactory answers, I have Ace Merrill on speed dial and I'm going to tell him you've been talking to his girlfriend. <laughs> Sound fair. <For> good <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I mean, now, that like, turns out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most nerve wracking part for me. So I'm glad I just get to get it right out there. First thing. Okay. What was your introduction to Stephen King's work?
2: So my dad is a huge horror fan. Um, so I think that my first introduction to Stephen King's work was The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm not sure if there's something. <laughs> like
0: I haven't read that one. Yet, no, either. So I'm very
1: excited to cover yeah, it on the show. I'll
0: think someday. of you when we finally get to that.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely read it. It's it's interesting, it's kind of different than its other works, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I like it. It's kind like, of it's very <laughs> baseball themed. So if you like baseball, you'll like it. Okay. Awesome. Nice.
3: All right, my turn. I, I grew up with a uh, learning disabilities, so I wasn't much of a reader, per se. So I had been more exposed to his works, you know, in film. For me, it's definitely the original two-parter It, just because as a child, I mean, and I'm sure that's such a common answer. You <laughs> <know>. <laughs> it was For groundbreaking, them. though. Yeah. But, I mean, you asked, like, what was it that introduced me? And that's that's my answer. That's what introduced me was Yeah. It.
0: I think that's a great answer, and it's a great introduction to Stephen King's work. Like, I feel like you're lucky th- in a way that that was yours.
3: Well, yeah, and then at the end when it's like a giant spider crab. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you see the documentary where they show they talked about all the things, all the capabilities that final puppet had, and no one no. ever taught them uh, how to use it? It yeah. could have been so much cooler.
0: <laughs> you're both doing good so far. Just to let you know. <laughs> okay, next question. Do either of you have a Stephen King moment from any of his work, books, or adaptations that have just stuck with you over the years?
2: For me, I think I, I was asked this similar question like in an interview a while ago, and um, it it sparked like this huge conversation about um, Lisi's story. So I didn't read that until I was an adult. I mean, I don't even know when it came out, but I think it wasn't. It's not that old. Um, but I think that's the story that stuck with me the most because. Like throughout this writing process, especially, you know, like we did a lot of research on how Stephen King writes women and Mm -hmm. not great not great (laughs) critical So I actually read Lisi's story, like as we were starting the writing process. And I think that she's like captured so nicely. So I think that that was kind of like a turning point for me of like, wait, we don't need to discredit like everything that he's written and stuff. So yeah, so that's it for me.
0: We're actually covering that now. It's it's our first time reading it. And we're like about 300 or so pages in. So that's nice. really
2: exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's gotten gruesome. <laughs> yeah, it,
2: It's the only like Stephen King book that I was like, devastated feeling by um I, I don't know it just like captured that like mm-hmm. emotion for me
3: amazing awesome. brendan how about you probably green mile uh when john coffee dies just because like oh. that's just mm. mm-hmm. that just teaches pure empathy right there yeah. it's like yeah. he knows he's innocent they know he's innocent but they gotta do it anyways and it's just like it's a hard moment
1: it's it is a sucker punch that stays with you for a while yeah i know
3: and then, like when he says, when he says that when they don't put the bag over his head because he's afraid of the dark. Oh
1: God, I sobbed. Those little,
0: things, in those little
1: yeah. details.
2: How we're depressed. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I'm kind of just now reflecting on all of our interviews and discussions mm-hmm. and realizing we very much get off on talking about these saddest, most dramatic, <laughs> depressing moments.
3: It makes us feel alive. Yeah. I yes, guess so.
0: Exactly.
3: <laughs> good work. Is good
0: at that. <laughs> You both pass, I think. Yeah, I think that's pretty good, Josh.
1: All right. You can take, you can finally reblock <laughs> Ace's number.
0: Uh, like I have any power. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Now you adapted to the short story, Nona, through the Dollar Baby process. For anybody who has not read the story, how would you summarize it?
2: So this, def- definitely like the short story version, um, it is about a College student who is really down on his luck, and he's kind of hitchhiking back through Maine. He doesn't really have a destination in mind, and he comes across someone who seems sort of familiar to him, but is still very mysterious. And they, you know, kind of go on this killing spree together. Um, So our, I think our adaptation is a little bit different because we put a little bit more uh, backstory to Nona, and we kind of focused on that for her. Um, But in the story, she remains very mysterious, and she doesn't really have like a concrete character throughout the story.
0: That's okay. So I'm curious. That and what you mentioned earlier about researching how King writes women and what you liked about Lisey's story, is, is that what drew you to this one?
2: So, Brennan actually had the final say in the story. Um, I really liked um, One for the Road. That was the one that I... I don't know, I was just drawn to <laughs> that good one. It's a read- fun debate. Yeah. The- <laughs> we were
3: at the Way to Maine to visit Stephen King's house, when we were listening to the... the it came down to those two. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, and so, yeah, that was... A long car ride and a long debate.
2: (laughs) So part of the reason why I was like initially turned off from Nona was that I was like, oh, she's very like how I I don't know. She's just not like the female character that I would want to write about. But then, you know, we talked about it and then we decided that we were going to beef up her backstory and kind of give her some motivation and make her a little bit less than just like a tool that he's using to justify some of the stuff that he's doing that's kind of how the story transformed but yeah I definitely struggled with that a little bit so when I think about like what was the most difficult part for me of adapting the story it was that because you know like obviously we're huge fans of his work Mm -hmm. and he's an amazing writer so it was weird to like figure out what like what we could improve on because the story's already really good or we would never have chosen it but that was one of the ways that I felt like we could adapt the story into our own without like changing the crucial elements of it Mm
0: -hmm. That sounds awesome. I think too, I've been making decisions wrong. We need to drive to Stephen's Stephen King's house for every <laughs> big decision.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really glad you brought that up about Nona, because that was the thing that jumped out to me reading the story, is that she she does have a very blank slate role. So what uh, I, I'd love to know what you guys did to really make her a, a fully three dimensional character.
3: Without spilling too much, though. Yes, right.
0: without, yeah, without right. spoiling too so,
2: much. So part of it is definitely our twist. I will say this. We combined one of the other female characters in the story because Nona's not the only female character in the story. I guess like a underlying theme of the story is kind of his like problems with women. And we go through like multiple women that he's had relationships with. So we kind of made that Nona character like more historical in his life rather than just this apparition that shows up and, you know, is kind of really convenient for him at the moment. So we definitely rewrote some history using some of the stuff that was already in the story. But I also think you just like get a good look at who she is and like what she's thinking and she doesn't really say a lot we didn't change that she's still you know she's still mysterious mm-hmm. but um, I think that our actress really pulled off like bringing that depth to the character that you don't really get when you're just reading it
1: yeah Impli- implied characterization is so hard mm-hmm. to pull off but man when you do it it's it feels magical
2: that's what we're hoping for
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the name uh, October Roses I love the name change what, uh, what prompted the, the title change
3: I was reading the first draft of the script and then I would go back and read the story and then I would read the script and read the story. And I just thought to myself, you know, a lot of people have done Nona and I don't think that we're doing Nona. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we're doing something that's a little bit more our own. We're definitely following King's storyline, you know, and the characters and, and twists and this and that. But ultimately we did take a lot of our own creative directions uh, when it came to, really making that adaptation between, you know, writing to film. Mm -hmm. So when I was reading it, I think it's like the first page of the book, he talks about dry October roses. And I thought to myself, that sounds kind of cool. So I just Mm -hmm. wrote literally on the front page of the script, I said, I'm open for a name change, October roses, question mark as just an example of like, a name change and then I went to the writers I was just like hey you know let's think about a name change and they're like yeah I like it and we're like okay cool so then we just went with it amazing
0: <laughs> I love how you talk about bringing your own both of you have mentioned bringing your own style to it which is something I think that on our podcast we've come to view differently and really appreciate more than I think we used to as kind of the casual you know observers of adaptations not thinking as critically about it and so I'm, I'm really excited to hear you talk about that because it's it's so cool to see see the filmmaker's unique stamp on stories that we love so much and are familiar with.
3: Yeah. And especially, you know, as a reader, these stories have been out for decades. You know, you might become married to a certain way that you had it fixed in your brain, but obviously we're all independent filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things in those stories that we just don't have the resources to do so, you know, when it comes to making the adaptation and, and trying to be true to the story, there are certain things that are just kind of out of our control.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think part of the changes that we made to the story were just, some were creative, some are just practical. Someone's like, we are not going to be able to pull this off <laughs> yeah. on this scale. So let's, mm-hmm. let's bring this back and see what we can actually do with it.
0: Do you find that kind of forces you into this creative zone that you might not have otherwise been pushed towards when you're limited in that way?
2: For me, it definitely does. So the other writer is definitely more like sci-fi fantasy focused and I'm more like strictly horror, um, you know, like psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff that I like to write. So when we're th- when we were thinking about like, how do we make this a horror story? Like, how do we take this from like natural born killers or something like this, you know, killing movie and make it horror um so his ideas were definitely more sci-fi based, like things that I never would have ever even thought about and still stayed within that realm. So what we ended up like coming together in the final product that we actually came up with, I think it's like a good mix of all of those things. The story like it talks a lot about rats, like that he's kind of like seeing women as rats and like there's a lot of like rat imagery and stuff going on. And that was one of the things that we were like, nope, so let's see how we can redo that. So we that that's kind of part of like where the October Roses came in is that we kind of replaced like some of the rat imagery with a lot of like plant and organic imagery which nice. was way
1: more within our budget so oh that sounds that so does awesome that's <laughs> a, a very challenging thing because all those uh, recurring images and the, the recurring themes are, are so mm-hmm. tied together but when you can find like just that good twist mm-hmm. to make it something so new and so different i'm i can't tell you how excited i am to see this
2: <laughs> this <laughs> We're is excited to see yeah. you <laughs> yeah uh
1: how how far along
3: are you you're you're done with principal production yeah i should be getting uh, cut one by the end of this week so wow nice we'll see where it goes from there you know thankfully my editor right now is working on it full time so that's amazing hopefully you know once we get it to picture lock we can just start tossing it out to all the different departments and you know everything come together like a symphony and, and everybody mm-hmm. can see it hopefully as soon as possible while we still have the rights yeah, yeah awesome. that's incredible which actually, our rights expire this month. Oh, oh God. But well, I had previously <laughs> talked to them, and they said that they would they would do another year with
1: nice. us. Nice. Great. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Getting those extensions. They've been very good about the extensions throughout the mm-hmm. pandemic and everything. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: So uh, you guys have a, a massive get to your crew. You have Robert Kurtzman and Marcy King. They came on as executive producers to head up your effects department. What did you, how, how did that, how did that swing come about? What made you decide to take that shot?
3: I just had nothing to lose.
0: Really.
3: <laughs> and, and you know, that's, that's a line that I actually ended up using. But <laughs> I just knew that he was a legend in the horror industry. Mm-hmm. And he has worked on Misery and Children of the Corn and Green Mile and Gerald's Game and Dr. Sleep and a couple other ones. So, I mean, what better person than... You know, somebody who has that extensive experience on the set of a Stephen King film, and he lives an hour away from me. He has no idea who I am, and he doesn't (laughs) care about who I am. So how do I get him to care about who I am and what I'm doing? So I had prepared like a script almost in a way like a pitch an elevator pitch because i went on to imdb and his number on imdb is just like a 330 number which is our area code so i'm like oh yeah this is just gonna, this is like his personal cell phone like, that's it's amazing like, so like i actually waited a like, couple weeks so that i made the call on uh, friday the 13th <laughs> <laughs> i thought yeah. that that might add a little spice to it. <laughs> so when i called marcy answered, co-owner and I did not expect that at all to hear a woman's voice when when uh, I called. So it really kind of threw me off at first, but I came in asking for a lot. And she was just telling me no and just trying to get me off the phone to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> You know, I was like, hey, will you donate this? We do this. We do that. And she's like, that's not really what we do. And I told her, I said, you know, listen, with the way this conversation is going, I have nothing to lose. So I'm just going to keep asking you for things and we'll see if something sticks. And she thought that that was <laughs> fine. And by the end of the conversation, she was like, you know what? You seem very passionate about this project. Why don't you send me over the scripts and we'll see what we can do. And at that point, we were in between scripts. So like right when I got off the phone, I call Shelby and I call our other writer. I'm like, you guys have two days. Get me something. (laughs) Oh, damn. And then, yeah, and then like she emailed us later that week, and she was like, hey, let's set up a meeting, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about this. And I was like, okay, cool. So uh, we set up a meeting at their studio, which was super cool because their studio is also like a, a, a museum, in a way, of industry yeah. horror. Yeah. And we walk in, and he's working on some Netflix thing, which is super cool. But then we go, and we sit down, and honestly, the meeting with them was probably about three hours long, and we barely talked about the movie. So... <laughs> It was great, and then they were on board, and it was just kind of downhill from there.
1: <laughs> did you? Ha- did it take that time because you were fanboying a little bit? Or yeah, <laughs>
2: well- I for sure was. Um, so. <laughs> Kurtzman lives like ten minutes away from where I grew up. So and my dad actually went to the same high school as him, but they didn't know each other. Um, so my whole life, like my like I said, my dad's a huge horror fan. So mm-hmm. when I was like fifteen, Kurtzman moved back to Ohio and he opened a haunted house. And me and my dad went, and that's when he was working on Tusk. So the haunted house was in his studio. So we walked through his studio and he's working on these like gigantic tusks, and of course no one knew this weird movie yeah. was about to <laughs> come out. But that's like that that was like a formative experience to me. So like yeah like being there I was like oh my gosh this is like you know full circle like I finally get to meet this person and we get to work with them so mm-hmm. I was for sure fangirling Brandon was a little bit
3: Yeah I he's a really stoic guy too so you know Marcy is extremely charismatic and mm. so easy to talk to. Mm. So it was really, honestly, great that she's the one that answered the phone instead of him. Because <laughs> I doubt he'd been me five seconds. Oh. <laughs> but at this point, you know, I hope that he is is happy with the decision that Marcy mm-hmm. did make.
1: What so getting to work with them on the set uh, on the set and and in the pre production, what sort of things did you learn from working with them?
3: You know, there were a lot of problems that we were running into as you do on any independent film. And, you know, there was at one point that I just needed to take myself away. And I found Kurtzman and I had a quick conversation with him just to kind of put me back to in the headspace that I needed to be in. And he pretty much told me, I've been in this industry for almost four decades and i still run into problems that i've never ran into
0: before Mm
3: -hmm. what i took away from my experience working with him and and his wisdom and and his experience was no matter how big the production is you're always going to run into issues and filmmaking the process of filmmaking never gets easier Mm -hmm. the only thing that's going to make it easier is how experienced you are and how much you're willing to sacrifice
0: that's an amazing lesson. Yeah, that was a
3: terrific <laughs> lesson. So what sort
1: of technical challenges did you guys go from? We talked a little bit about the budgetary things, but what were those things that stood out as you were going from story to script to actual production that was just... The rocky road along the way. It was rocky. Uh,
3: it was, <laughs> you know, There were a couple times that I was like, I don't know, but I just, you know, made sure that by any means necessary, everything would come together but mm-hmm. it was like every day was a new catastrophic issue oh, no. <laughs> oh, that shoot. That it was not fixed you know the entire project would cave in yeah and there were a couple of times that you know i just had to take a step back and and realize i am in way over my head right now how do i fix this mm-hmm. and we one of the biggest problems for us was trying to Be true to a time period. You know, one thing that's really difficult to be successful in independent short films is period pieces. Oh, absolutely. There's just so much around you that you need (laughs) control that you don't have control of as an independent filmmaker. There were a lot of issues with that on set, getting certain vehicles that are going to sell the time period because, you know, you get even a Crown Vic as a police car. Completely takes from the seventies, which is what we were aiming for, and it was just every single day I'd wake up and I'd be like, "Okay, well, what do I have to fix now?" And there was one day that we got like halfway through the day of filming, and I was like, "Whoa, this is going very smoothly," (laughs) and then sure enough, something happened. I forget what it was. I, I should have probably kept a log of. All I'm saying is. This film was a great school for problem solving. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's terrific. We,
2: we joked that it might have been a cursed film.
1: Oh yes. no! <laughs> so, you know, we have writer, director. Have you been sharing it from start to finish? Or was this, you know, Shelby taking the ball at the beginning with the, all the writing and then passing it over? Or have you guys done pretty evenly?
2: We've pretty much, yeah, we've pretty much been, I would say together throughout the whole project. It's amazing. I heard about this on Reddit and I text Brandon and I was like, Hey, we should do this. And I mean, this was kind of just like a, Oh, this will be a funny thing to talk about, you know, and maybe we'll plan it. And then Brandon was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. I (laughs) I was just kidding about that. But then like, Within like a week of me even saying like, hey, have you heard about this program? We should do this. We had like our core group of producers and then it just kind of spiraled from there. And really for me, it's been like a whirlwind because even like six months ago, we thought this was a small project that we were doing with our friends and like it was going to be fun, you know? (laughs) And then now like we got the Kurtzmans involved and we brought on so many other producers. And I mean- like the support for this project has just been crazy. Like Mm -hmm. we went to Kurtzman's autograph signing today and we had people that were like, can we take a picture with you? And we were like, no, we're just regular people. Mm -hmm. Like take a picture with Kurtzman. (laughs) um, Yeah, it's just been, it's really spiraled so quickly and it got so big so fast that yeah, we've pretty much done every single thing together.
1: Shelby, I want to know from you, what scene is it that you wrote that you were most excited to see brought to life?
2: So the scene in the bowling alley from the story, there is one scene that we added that I'm really excited about, but I don't want to give the twist away. <laughs> all right. <laughs> as soon as you watch it, you'll know what great it is. Great. It's an amazing scene. Great it's not great. in the story at all, so you'll know it. Um, But the bowling alley scene, I think, was the best because I, it's just so, it had, like, such a clear aesthetic to it. And that the bowling alley scene is really, like, the crux of why we decided to do it in, like, rural Ohio mm-hmm. because we knew that we could find, like, these bowling alleys that haven't been updated since the 70s. <laughs> So that was really like, that's where we started location scouting. That was really, I guess what like informed the vision for the whole thing was like, I want this 70s bowling alley. And yeah, so that was my favorite scene. And that was actually the best day that we had filming. We had tons of extras come and it was just very like high energy. Wow. Yeah. It was, awesome. it was amazing. That was my favorite day. Um, yeah, it was awesome.
1: That sounds <laughs> kick. I, yeah, I can't wait to find out what the secret ending. Uh, and Brandon, uh, what scene are you most proud of? Like, after you said cut, you were like, I fucking nailed it.
3: <laughs> Honestly, the entire film. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and I'm typically, especially when it comes to art, I'm not one that like my own horn and it's not even me tooting my horn because I could not have made this movie look and sound and feel as good as it does without the people who made it happen. I was just a guy that said, all right, on your mark, cassette, go. Stop. <laughs> you know, they're the ones that made it as as good as I hope that it's going to come out. But for me, when it comes down to it, I, I'd say two scenes. One is going to be the bowling alley scene as well. And for me, it, it's the aesthetic, but it's also the... The emotional connection that our actors had—it mm-hmm. was,
1: mm-hmm.
3: it was, it was great. And you know, we we did all of this in Northeast Ohio and and Kent State University, like students and 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 we were really just trying to make this kind of like a knit Ohio project. But because Nona is the name of the story, mm-hmm. she was the one exception that I was willing to you know look outside of maybe what I had. Available to me locally, mm-hmm. as I wanted to make sure that I got the absolute perfect person for that. So we put out a casting call, and we got over five hundred oh women. Oh my gosh! Wow, it was insane. We had over five hundred women submit for it. Our casting director, throughout the process, you know, I, I'd see a video here and there, and we'd mm-hmm. decide who we were going to give callbacks. And when we uh, got the callbacks, there was like twenty girls that he wanted to show me, and uh, Kyla, who is our our Nona, was maybe like the third girl. And after one of the the monologue that she took, not really monologue, but the scene that she did in her callback was the bowling alley scene. Mm-hmm. And after I watched it, I said, "I don't want to see the other one." <laughs> <laughs> like, this Amazing. is her. This is Nona. Pull the trigger right now. So mm-hmm. I just think that we just we got the perfect people for that for the uh, those roles, and it really comes to fruition in that scene. And that's why I love that scene so much. And then the other one. Is the the ending mausoleum scene? Just because I took a lot of creative liberties in that scene, that I just think are super artsy and and mm-hmm. and hopefully turn out cool. Because the thing is, that when you try artsy on set, it doesn't always <laughs> turn out cool in the editing room. But yeah. you know, I've, I've I have failed at that before as a director. But hopefully, I learned from my mistakes. And
1: <laughs> can I ask how the uh, the animated intro is coming? Like the the little teaser at the beginning of your uh, fundraising yeah. Yeah, video? Yeah, awesome. I was like, this is already. <laughs> kick
3: ass <laughs> yeah so that's another thing when I was reading this story and he's having that dream sequence there's just no way that I could do that live action <laughs> oh no was, there's no way I could it. so I was like alright you know what nobody ever does is like animated Stephen King nobody mm-hmm. ever does animated Stephen King so let's give it a shot and I think right there at the beginning it'll draw your attention and you know hopefully it'll be a good thing from there but you know I really I had this tattoo artist who just has such great art and and I feel like when it comes to graphic designers and this and that tattoo artists just has have, have a very unique style mm, yeah. yes and works really well with this kind of grungy like dirty kind of smudgy charcoal effect that I'm going for yeah. and my brother is a computer whiz So those two working together, he's creating these images on his iPad and then sending them over to my brother. And my brother's manipulating them and making them move. And and, uh, so it's going to be super indie animation. Oh, that's amazing. But I think it's going to be like the style that I'm going for. Indie is like it is the right way to.
1: It's it's just in in your campaign video. It's such an attention grabber. Yeah, that I think it's, it's such a strong choice mm-hmm. for an opening.
0: What was the response like when you guys? You know, you mentioned that this is more of a tight knit project. Um, when your home your community found out that you were bringing this Stephen King dollar baby here, what was that response like?
2: It was it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I like I said, it just exceeded all of my expectations. Part of it is that we decided to film it around my hometown. So, you know, I mean, it's really small towns in Ohio, like towns of 2,000 people. So this is really exciting Um, and people love to support someone from their hometown. So I feel like we could not have done this film anywhere else. And I've said that a million times. Mm -hmm. We had 18 meals we needed to provide and we ended up buying three. We had 15 that were donated by catering companies and restaurants and stuff. And that was like, we hardly had to ask anyone to do things. We Mm -hmm. had people reaching out to us saying like hey what can we do can we bring food can we donate plates can we donate mm-hmm. water things like that
3: there's this guy who uh, his dad owned antique semis from like the 60s and 70s but they didn't work anymore so he had to individually and personally tow them from their lot <laughs> oh my over God. The that we were shooting at and it was all his idea and he was like i just want to be a part of it wow. and he amazing a, probably about a dozen of these like 60s semi trucks for our our trucker scene. That That's... kicks so much ass. <laughs> oh, and then we also got another, That's a famous truck, apparently. Yeah, it's
2: one of the top 100 semi-trucks in America. It's mm-hmm. an award-winning truck, which I didn't even know that was a I, thing. Yeah, but <laughs> I didn't hear. <laughs> got it. <laughs> That's so funny. But I yeah, it's,
3: it's, been, it's been amazing. You know, we, at first, when we were talking about budgeting and how we were going to get our, our, our finances for this set up, one of our crew members was like, you know, one thing that we don't have right now is an audience hmm. who wants to be a part of this. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take that. I'm going to run with it. So I took the idea of the project because we're shooting it in the Mansfield, Ohio area. And the last dollar baby Stephen King movie to be shot in that area was Shawshank Redemption, which is the most popular dollar baby Amazing. movie ever. made. Yeah. We're, we're literally shooting like right around the corner from the Mansfield reformatory. And I reached <laughs> cool. out to one of the local Newspapers. That's super small town. The the newspaper is like maybe like three, four pages. And I was like, hey, you know, this is something that really cool that we're doing. And she thought it was really cool, so she did this story. And then from there, it just spread like wildfire. We had people reaching out to us. We were on Good Morning Cleveland. We've been on other podcasts and 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 all of these different news channels and and different newspapers, and it's been insane.
0: That's amazing. That's so
1: terrific. Let's. Hop in our imagination helicopter, and we are at a film festival, October Roses, the credits are rolling, people are walking out of the theater. What what are you hoping is going through their mind, or what you want to hear them say when, when you finally get to see this with an audience?
2: I want people to say, I want to make a movie like that. And I think that like, we have two audiences for this. Like one is like our film community, but the other is like this community of fans that we've built mm-hmm. up because we've had so many people reach out to us and say like, oh my gosh, I want to do film or like, you yeah. know, things like that. Like so many of our extras came up to us afterwards and were like, thank you so much for this opportunity. Like, how do we get involved? We want to do film aside from the festivals like our local screenings that we do that's really the thing that i want people to come away with because people watched us film this like we were on mm-hmm. sides of streets like filming this so like people Stopping passed cars. us yeah like like
3: literally we were fighting the night at one point we had we had 10 minutes before the sun was uh, rising and a half a page to shoot oh shit and, and we're on like this country road and people it's like 5 in the morning and these people are going to work and we've got p a s like just stopping, we got lines of cars, and we're just are like, hey, when can we let them go? We're like, I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> I'm so excited for these people that like saw this, and we're like, yeah. oh, how is that ever going to look like a movie? Like that's just the street I live on for it. <laughs> Like to and be like, wow, yeah, I could take a camera out on my street and I could make something like this.
3: Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, one thing that I just I. I really love about how I had approached this is how stylized it is. It has a very, very unique look. We shot it on a Arri Alexa with vintage 60s Russian lenses. Um, So it's got this really look. (laughs) Our uh, lighting design is just so beautiful and it's intentional uh, in the story as well, along with, like I said, everything that plays into the, the period piece aspect of it. It's just it's such a well-crafted piece of work. For me, I just I want people to walk away wanting more, even though I hope that we tie everything up, but like wanting more of that style of mm-hmm. story. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, listening to you guys talk about all of this is it just feels inspiring and in some of the things you've said like these little nuggets of I don't know just talking about the film and the lighting I'm so excited that we we don't yep. get enough like really thoughtful stylized things yes recently I feel like
1: it's such a risk. And some, mm-hmm. I think people are, they, they don't trust their own vision enough. Yeah. But so it's nice when filmmakers are like, I f- you know what? It's coming out the way I see it.
3: <laughs> I do take yeah. risks, but no, that's yeah. the thing is as, as an early filmmaker, you take those risks and it doesn't come out the way that you want it. To. <laughs> and, and that's uh, you know, you watch it over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know how many times I've seen my own work and I watch it. And I hate that part. actually. <laughs> And then all I'm doing is I'm just learning about how I would have done things differently so that now when I approach another film, I'd be like, you know what? That's the reason why it didn't work this time or that time. I'm going to try it this way. So my goal Mm -hmm. in filmmaking is to never make the same mistake twice.
0: Yes. I would say I want to make all new mistakes.
3: (laughs) Now, if there are
1: someone listening that is thinking about getting their own dollar baby and trying it themselves, what advice would you give them after everything you've been through?
3: I I said this earlier. I I used the phrase by any means necessary to get me through uh, everything that I needed to get through because I am... Being 100% genuine when I tell you. The making of this film definitely changed me as a person. I had been put into a lot of very tough situations. Had to have a lot of very tough conversations. Mm -hmm. Had to make a lot of tough decisions on the fly. So, And I had to do a lot of just things that I didn't want to do, but I realized I had to do, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, these were conversations that I had to have. These were phone calls that I had to make, you know, like when we were trying to get the budget for the movie, we were going door to door, pretty much Mm -hmm. business to business, trying to get people to donate. And, you know, we got people who donated like a two dozen shirts for us to sell. Another guy donated a nine foot banner for us, like an October roses Mm -hmm. banner. It's is super cool. But for me, Anytime time that i was about to make a f- or like i was forced to make a phone call that i didn't want to make or a conversation that i had to have or if i was told no when i needed something to somebody to tell me yes mm-hmm. i just kept reminding myself by any means necessary this is going to get done i'm not going to take no for an answer if they're going to tell me no then i'm going to go over <laughs> here and ask them and and that's how i got it done because if it wasn't for that mantra and that mindset that i had there were so many exits that I could have taken yeah. and I wouldn't let myself. So as a filmmaker, independent filmmaking is the hardest filmmaking, just because you don't have the resources that studios have, you know, and that is in regards to actors and, you know, the people who are handling your equipment and the mm-hmm. quality of equipment that you have. And you can't just walk into a subway and be like, hey, you know, we're Paramount and we want to shoot a <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But no, they got to run up through the chain and and get permission and then so it's just you're going to be told no a lot. Mm-hmm. And and things are not going to work out the way that you want and you're going to have to pivot and you're going to have to take a lot of side side steps, but if you stop then that is where your career is going to stop. So just remind yourself by any means necessary if you mm-hmm. want to do it you can do it. One thing I realized throughout this is once you realize that anything is possible, anything is possible.
2: Yeah. And a lot is Perfect. possible. Like you're right. Like he said, you know, you get told no a lot, but you get told yes a lot. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that like Stephen King. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who like want to see one of his stories adapted. So just pretend like you have an audience, like just fake it. That's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> <is the gap. laughs> got to newspapers with like literally no proof of concept. And we were just like, hey, if you trust us, I swear we will get you something <laughs> you can run. And they did. And like we had so many people that followed our story from the beginning. And now we have stuff to show them. And they're like, wow, this is really cool. And we're like, yeah, we told you. We just didn't have anything at the time. So just like go for it. Just jump in and like something will happen, I swear.
1: So th- is this your first production together as a team so Shelby and I have been dating for about
3: six years so her and I initially we worked on she was a writer and I was a director for a short I did a long long time ago and that was her introduction into it', it was a 48hour film festival if you guys have oh yeah it. I love those mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god those <laughs> heavy, <those laughs> cool. They're the best. so yeah it was one of those and then I had done my first professional uh, film that took probably about four years to complete. And then after that, we did a film last fall. And then it was that film, you know, after a four year film had happened, I was like, you know what? This is probably it. Nothing's coming out of it. You know, just I like my job. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> but then we did this film last fall and it just clicked yeah. with me. And I was like, this is what I need to do. This is what I want to do. And then when she brought the Stephen King idea, I was just like, it's just falling into place, and that's exactly what's happened. And as I told you guys, we've ran into issue after issue after issue, and every time I just tell myself it's uh, it's part of the story. This isn't supposed <laughs> to be easy. If this was easy, it would be exciting. Yeah, if that's this true. Was easy, anybody could do it.
0: <laughs> I I really so, like the idea that the tough moments are just part of the journey. You have to go mm-hmm. through those to get to the There's
3: end. A, it's a story I'm going to tell later. It's this, uh, how boring would this conversation be if everything went perfect? Yeah.
0: Oh, it's a
1: breeze. <laughs> end of story.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. So tell us what, what's next for you. What's next uh, in your journey?
3: just want to see what comes our way. I know that we've been reached out to by, you know, some other filmmakers. And, and my goal for my next film is to make a, an investable feature. Shelby and I have been bouncing some ideas back and forth. And the other day we, we had one that stuck. And it's something that we're going to kind of dive into. Our goal is to have a feature script ready to pitch by the time October roses, is ready to be shown just so that it'll be like monkeys swinging from branch to branch. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
1: We also,
2: um, we're like in the process well, we've been in the process for a little bit of establishing a nonprofit. So we have a lot of goals with our nonprofit, but one of the things is that we both work, we both work with kids or we both work with people, I guess he works in mental health and I work in voc rehab. Um, so we both, you know, are helpers, uh, mm-hmm. but I really want to help like other independent filmmakers that's what I found through this process like I had no I didn't really know what to do at the beginning of this like I'm not a film person I've, I've written for a really long time but I've never done like the logistics of producing a film or I don't know like what you do so it was just a lot of like trial and error like hey I wonder if you can call this restaurant and see if they'll donate to crafty or stuff like that and figuring it out so I really want to give back and like help other independent filmmakers especially with like managing their social media and stuff I don't really have any experience with that but I just want to be able to like light a fire yeah. under people yeah. and say like hey here what's possible so that's one of the main goals of our nonprofit that we're trying to start we also want to do like workshops and stuff at local libraries we've got asked to speak at a couple local events and Mm -hmm. things like that so we want to do that and then ultimately we want to start a film festival where we can showcase like some of the films that are coming out of ohio specifically because there's a huge film industry here that i think a lot of people don't know about i pittsburgh you know like some people say like oh pittsburgh is great for films but cleveland is amazing for films they have so Mm -hmm. many film organizations and like akron we live in the Akron area. There's so many people out here, but there's just not really the resources to help build those things up. Some
3: of the greatest people in the history of horror are from Ohio. Mm -hmm. So we just wanted to, (laughs) you know, continue to highlight these artists who are born here. You know, we got Robert Mm Kirsten, obviously. Wes Craven's from Ohio. And then we just learned tonight that the guy who created Chucky is from Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Midwest all, represent like, iconic <laughs> original monsters, at least for my generation mm-hmm. all came from Ohio, which is just such a cool and, and, and motivational thing to recognize.
2: So you guys
0: are here to keep that spirit alive. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I don't know how familiar you are with the Ohio stuff, but like, there's tons of astronauts that are from Ohio, like more astronauts that are from Ohio. And like the joke is that that's because people are so desperate to get out of Ohio that they become astronauts. They can be- but I guess maybe that's like the same thing with horror. Like they need so much escapism that like horror is just booming in Ohio. Maybe it's
3: know? just so fucked up here.
2: Or <laughs> maybe, maybe the astronauts are so right? scared. Oh, They're
1: fleeing. Yes. From the dreams of Ohio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So where can people follow your film, your guys' career, all of these cool things that you have coming up?
2: They can follow our Facebook page. We have an Instagram and Facebook. They're both Nona Film Official. We have a website too. It's just NonaFilmofficial.com.
3: So even though um, it's October Roses, we still stuck with yeah. Nona just so that we have a recognizable yeah. Yeah. connection.
2: And we're really active on Facebook. We post almost every day. Um, I respond to all the messages that we get. So I love talking to people. So mm-hmm. even if someone's like, you know, I want to start a dollar baby. I don't know what to do. Like talk me through the process. We're more than happy to talk to people. Um, that's really been the best part of this for me is like some of the messages that we've gotten like Brandon said a lot of people from the area had like parents that were in Shawshank Redemption and they reached out to us and said oh my dad did this in Shawshank <laughs> cool. and like that's so amazing and there were so many stories like that like personal connections that were coming through and those were the stories that like mm-hmm. it just made everything like so emotional and so personal for me because I was like okay these are the people that like we're gonna let down if we don't like yeah, exactly. make this happen and follow yeah. through with all
3: of my, my favorite story uh, sorry to add on to that no, to go for it <laughs> we held this fundraising event event before production in Willard, Ohio. And we had all these people donate all these things for raffle baskets, and by the end of the night, we called all the raffle winners, and there was one person who didn't claim their basket. So the next morning, I looked at the ticket and I called the number on the ticket, and I said, "Hey, you know, is there a time that I can set up to, you know, give you your basket?" And she said, "Oh, don't worry about it. We we drove all the way there from Columbus, Ohio. We just thought that what you guys were doing was really cool, and we wanted to come support." So like these people oh, who were out of wow you know and and have no connection to the film at all was exposed to the story and felt passionate enough to literally go out of their way and inconvenience themselves to come support us so wow. it's it's tiny little things like that that you know when i say by any means necessary it's it's those people that i'm doing it for because mm-hmm. that person went out of their way for a complete stranger and I've thought about it since then. I don't yeah. know if I would be the same person to do that. It's crazy It sounds like a lot.
1: <laughs> it's I know listeners like all over the world uh, might not understand this, but there's like hearing that story being fellow midwesterners, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's like there's something that that midwest uh yeah, hospitality and that that yeah. want to help each other uh, up, man. That's like this, those those stories so happen in the midwest so much. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. All right, uh, before we wrap up the interview, is there anything that you guys want to talk about that, that we may have missed or anything?
3: No, I think this is the most in-depth interview that we've oh, given yes. so then. Terrific!
1: That's my goal. That's what I want. <laughs> it was
3: funny, the other day, literally, because we just had another article come out, and I told Shelby, I was like, you know, I just stopped reading them because <laughs> all this... Because <laughs> they only ask us the same questions and it's always the same answers, but this yeah. has definitely been a, a much more in depth
1: Good. Uh, Good.
3: I'm glad. expose.
1: Brandon Shelby, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, we are so excited to see October Roses when it comes out. Please, please keep us in the loop, keep us updated. We'd love to share and support what you guys are doing.
2: Yeah, well, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, this was
1: awesome. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode. For C.M. Alexander, Brandon Lisenko, Shelby Wyatt, this is Joshua Kahn reminding you, if you stop, that's where your career stops.
0: Hey everyone, C.M. Alexander here. Thank you for listening to our interview with Brandon and Shelby about their dollar baby, October Roses. We hope you enjoyed it. It was a pleasure to talk with them. They are so nice. When we asked them what they wanted me to plug in the outro, their response was just to tell their followers and supporters how grateful they are to them. And they did a really fantastic job with their dollar baby. We highly recommend that you keep up with them and support their work, and you can do that by following them on their Instagram and Facebook at Nonafilmofficial and their website at nonafilmofficial.com. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.